Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Folks, and welcome to the next episode of Prestige, a podcast by film lovers for film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we review that film, we talk about the film and some of the ideas and themes that it presents within that film. As always, we end the show with our further reading, further watching movies or media that we recommend. If you like this movie or inspire us to think about in terms of this movie, things that build upon our themes or are linked to this movie in some way that we want to take a chance to, to plug to you. But always, as always, we start the show with what else we've been watching or reading or listening to or enjoying since our last record. So it's been about a week or so, a week and a half since our last recording. Sam, what do you have for us? On the theme of our sub-season of horror films, these are vampire films, I've been delving into the a recent series from the BBC TV series called Ghosts. Now... I saw a trailer for this, and it's by the guys who did Horrible Histories, and I love Horrible Histories, but I thought, well, is this going to translate? And I thought from the clips I saw that it really didn't translate, and I thought, that's a shame. Mm. But it really actually does translate, and it's worth watching an episode or six. Um, because well written and there are some interesting conceits in it and it's a comedy but it's not straightforwardly laugh out loud all the way through it's at times thought-provoking and yeah I really enjoyed it so ghosts from this year from the BBC oh great great in a odd happenstance I'm recommending a tv show as well I am re-watching the early 2000s he says looking it up very briefly 2004 2004 tv series veronica mars i'm sure i've plugged this before on the show in our four or five year history but it's a early 2000s show about a teenage pi played by kirsten bell or Kristen bell who's gone on to fame in things like the good place and frozen but this is one of her sort of her big breakout role was in this show she's a high school high schooler whose dad's a pi and she becomes a pi too Whilst it is about teenagers, it's very much adult in its in its bent. So it is about the murder of her best friend and her losing her virginity as a rape victim at a party. But it's also it's also funny. It's smart in the way that things like Buffy were okay. or Dawson's Creek were. Um, it presents teenage life in its realness, but also in a slightly heightened, funny way. Kristen Bell is very watchable. Her her rising star proves that. But it's got great support throughout from all the bit parts and all the secondary characters and there is a season four coming currently so 15 years on from the first series there were three series back in the day they did a movie and season four is coming soon so i thought well that coming up i shall try to catch up and re-catch up on where it was before the new season starts so i'm diving back 15 years to uh, Veronica Mars. Ah, nostalgia. It's excellent. Right then, as I mentioned earlier, we are continuing with our um, horror-tastic sub-season and we're looking at vampire films and we kicked off with Nosferatu last week and Jen coming on to talk to us and thank her for that. Talk to us in great detail about German Expressionism and 
how it works, particularly how it works to kick off this genre. The second film we're going to look at is a film from the next decade. It's 1931's Dracula. I am Dracula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula is the most famous adaptation of Bram Stoker's novella of the same name from 1897 and it was, although Nosferatu came first, Nosferatu as you mentioned last week didn't have the rights to use the character names and situations so Dracula was the first big um, dramatisation of it on screen adapted from a stage play in the mid-twenties and it tells the tale of Count Dracula and um, the soldier Renfield at the start, and then later on um, Mina and Harker and Van Helsing when they return to British shores. And it very much kick-started this interest in the novel in pop culture in the 20th century, sort of rather than just a late Victorian work of fiction so rob what did you think i'm kind of torn on this film which having as you say if you've clearly established there its credentials as a classic of the genre but it's i don't know having watched nosferatu last week this felt like a i suppose the standard american remake of a better film Mm. It is. I mean, like, Bela Lugosi is amazing in the film, and and like, there's no disrespect to anyone who made this film. It is a great movie, and it certainly you know it has its place in history for very good reasons. But having seen the effects and the visuals and everything that came with the the German expressionism take on the tale last week, the fact that you don't see special effects here beyond sort of fog and lighting, you the the, the bats that are it's modernized certainly comical in their um in their predictions and the kind of use of the german pessimism from nosferatu with the harsh lighting and stuff but not all the way kind of somehow weirdly dates it so like the effects of the uh, of dracula's eyes always being in bright light but nothing else being lit around it it somehow dates it so it was really weird watching so i thought like in the part of this film i've loved it i understand its place in history and i really like it but somehow i think if you said to me now do you want to rewatch this or rewatch nosferatu I'd probably pick Nosferatu, despite the fact that it's an unofficial knockoff of the same story. I'm I'm conflicted now because I was all set to be really positive about this film, and yet the moment you said that, I thought, well, actually, he's got a great point because, yeah, yeah, I can see what you're saying, but in terms of sort of iconic visuals, Nosferatu blows mm. it out of the water. I think it has some, like, the, particularly the scenes on the boat, the, the, when, when the sort of the water's crashing down the boat, it's an amazing visual shot. And I think the portrayal of uh, Renfield as as this kind of thrall of Dracula, that's an, certainly, I, saw, I really enjoyed that. And certainly the character of Mina, um, I enjoyed her role a lot more here. Um, but yeah, I, I really thought we were going to sort of step up this week into into the classic status, and it just this wasn't there for me. 
And I, I know, I know that the scene very it sort of compares you to the scenes on the boat from Nosferatu last week, which I was reading in the week we just lifted from another film because they didn't, mm-hmm. they couldn't, couldn't find any, any. They had no way of shooting, so they just had to lift some found footage. So the the scenes on the boat for Dracula are far more compelling, but there's nothing really iconic in the way that Nosferatu and his claws climbing the stairs. There's nothing that sort of leaves a visual impression on you. And I think, I mean, I think at this point in the show, we've established that, particularly myself, I'm a very visual cinemaphile. Like, like the visuals are what often I love films for, and I just thought it wasn't. It wasn't there. I mean, I think we need to start putting to sort of draw a line of that and start viewing it as his own mm. film a little bit. But yeah, it was a little bit like I wasn't in the same way that Nosferatu was so stunningly great looking and inventive. This is a good scary movie and it has some effects to it, but it wasn't in the same kind of ballpark as Nosferatu. I do want to, as you said, we'd, we'd draw a line under it. I want to talk about some of the ways in which this really did work and. That character of Renfield that you brought up there as enthralled to Dracula, and um, he was really effective, and this sort of disintegration in his character until he's this, it, it was it was far more believable than Nock, say, who mm. you kind of could tell was like that at the beginning, was just holding it together because he was in an office. And yet, yes. Renfield had completely disintegrated and was someone completely different. That felt far more effective. That felt, and it, it was, it was, it was a, a really a visual thing. The way that he disintegrated, and you can see that in sort of when the when the camera flashes on Renfield for one of the first times, there's something something a seed of something in his eyes but otherwise mm. he's this perfectly preserved english gentleman and you think well that little thing in his eyes is going to become something much bigger but there's no the, the character of knock in nosferatu felt quite hammy compared to this there was a real sense of character development here you didn't get with knock well, I think that's, I mean, if you look better too, this feels sort of everything's turned up to a level of Nosferatu. Mm. And that is visuals as well as some of the sort of those more tropey, archetypy kind of acting styles in it. Um, but I, th- I think you're right. I mean, I think this is, it kind of links back to what I was discussing last week with Jelton that we discussed was the idea of both vampirism as decay and how Nosferatu really pushed the idea of it being a physical decay. That the, the, the Nosferatu is a a inhuman character, and he isn't charming. He isn't enthralling in that way. He's just he, he he's it's all kind of not charisma based. Makes sense. Mm. Whereas this, I think, obviously, it's established the much bigger and much firmer trope of Dracula as this kind of seductive, charismatic, charming character. And this is one of the things. And it, it, what was going to stop hating on this film, but I'm drawn back to it now, that one of the ways in which Nosferatu is much more faithful is that the character of Dracula in the novella is horrible, is like a mm. terrible demon-like creation, and he overcomes people in spite of, like, not because of a physical attractiveness. 
And it, with Bela Lugosi, you have that complete switch to someone charming and seductive, and that has spawned so many. It's like it's spawned pretty much every other film that we're going to look at for the next mm. few weeks. That you think, well, that is not faithful to the original. That's not how a vampire should work. Well, I think this is where we, like this is where we, this, I think I really like having these two films as our first two movies because they do set up these kind of opposing ends of of the vampire genre, mm. and I think we will see this over over our um over the sort of the next eight weeks of the show of how the genre shifts along that axis. You know, I mean, at one end you've got something like you know Twilight, um, which a vampire movie they are it's literally a rom- romantic vampire movie um they are charming in their own way and they're, they're beautiful and they have they're at that in the spectrum and then you swing back down the other end something like blade 2 something like 30 days of night where we are much closer towards the inhuman aspect of vampirism mm. um and the the decayed and not even animalistic but almost demonic nature of um vampirism and I think I mean, if you want to sort of chart in the middle even something like Buffy which is obviously a very mainstream TV show in that they have this idea that people kind of switch between their human faces and their vampire faces and that trod that line of like you know people could be really charming angel and then switch into the all much more demonic when they wanted to for the vampire side and I think that these two movies have brilliantly set up these the, the, the polar opposites of of this axis on which we will see all the films plot somewhere, mm. and we talked last week about the idea that Nosferatu was set in a sort of distant past that allowed for post World War One German escapism, and mm. this one, although the film is a decade older, it's actually it it's set. Sort of in the past, in the eighteen nineties, back when Stoker was was setting his novella, and I, I wanted to bring that up because there is something, I suppose, around the sort of mania about Jack the Ripper and things like that, and mm-hmm. um, Victorian the Victorian era coming to end, the uncertainty of the quote unquote end of empire. There was sort of all that uncertainty, and um, it was it was just in many ways quite a quite a scary time in London or in in England in general. I think that's what you get captured in this film, and maybe that's why this film took such a hold in the public imagination, regardless of whether it was to do with, like you said, the um, terrible demonic side of vampirism or the seductive charming side of vampirism it, it had to take it took such a hold because it spoke to exactly what was going on at that time in history mm. I think it's also tapped into a little bit you mentioned there about its time period in that the an overall larger thesis about horror movies like the horror movies are about dealing with trauma and de- dealing with things that scare us in a more safe space mm. Um, they're, 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 none of us want to face down a serial killer or ghosts, but in a horror movie we can, and we can reach the end of the movie and f- come back to our normal life in a safer way. 
And part of that, and I think something we've seen in other movies, is the, the idea of setting this in a more removed time makes it safer. Mm. In the same way that if you want, if you want to look at like a modern day thing, you know, serial killers, like recent serial killers, are horrific, horrific things. But the further you get from the crimes, the more that changes. You know, the you know, Jack the Ripper has become is is obviously a, a, a aged serial killer, but you see him popping up in all sorts of media. Um, and you see mm. him, you know, it was yeah, in, we, and like in this in the same way that you know you've got this new Tarantino film coming out this year, um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, which is about the Manson murders, and you wouldn't see Quentin Tarantino making a movie about you know the Wests or the Moors murderers because they're too new, they're too fresh, and I think somehow by making this a, a, a quote unquote historic movie. Um, a period film, it adds that other layer of abstraction from the horror of the movies. You can experience horror, but then when you step back into your real world, it's another layer to protect you from that being real. And even, actually, although I was talking about it as a sort of um, a film that talks about the time um, in Victorian London, sort of in the 1890s, even that, even sort of fears about Jack the Ripper were getting on for 50 years old when this was mm. released. So it's, well, so it's late 80s, 1931, still 45 years since Jack the Ripper. So it's the same sort of thing as Quentin Tarantino being able to make Manson films. But, yeah, there is that remove to it. I think that helps it, you know, become successful. And I can't remember if we did it, on here, on the, like, the movie It Follows, which is a recent horror movie that seems in many ways outside of time, it has that same thing. It isn't set in the real world. Uh, you know, why things like films set in, in, in a lot more horror movies set in fictional towns, you, that, that level of abstraction. But as I say, we, we do want to talk about the things that are, that are good about it rather than bad about it. And I would want to add on to that. I think that Mina. Um, the role of Mina, I really enjoyed. She 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 very much brought together this idea of, I suppose, the seduced becoming as dangerous as the seducer, mm. yeah. uh, especially towards the end scene in which she has been turned. There's a real sense of menace about her, um, and this recurring motif of the eyes and the kind of the glowing reflective eyes that they bring back and again and again. And it's I really like that because as a visual moment in it, like Gracula clearly always has glowing eyes. But then when you get this like slightly more, I don't know, unsure of who's turned and who's not, you start watching for it and thinking, oh, was that the light? Was that shining? And it becomes this really like recurring visual motif to sort of sense danger. And I think it always reminded me, whenever I watch this, of when you, when you shine a light into the woods and you see like dog's eyes or cat's eyes and that kind of reflective nature you get off them. Hmm. Um, and you know, in modern, in modern days, you've got cats on the on the road. But like that idea that somehow the nature of their eyes means they reflect light a lot more. Um, it gave the vampires a much more, even though they have the sort of the sheen of respectability and sort of class that comes with being count and all that. It gave it a more animalistic feeling to that to the to the, the hunger in them, I suppose. Yeah, as as we're talking about good things about this film. I thought the camera work was brilliant at times. I was thinking about the shots being at the beginning and then moving through the crypt before Dracula 
appears for the first time as a vampire. And then even mm. like moving through the castle at the end, there's something that you see, I suppose, in, in later horror movies, or even in, like, in... I know nothing about this genre, but in sort of scary video games, you get that sense of moving through a dark house. The way that the camera moved was like that. It was like the... Like the camera, like the cameraman was an animal. Well, it, it, not, not a point of view shot, but it certainly uses its camera work to set up these feelings. I, mean, it, I was thinking about the shot in which um, Renfield meets Dracula for the first time, this sort of sweeping stairs, and it's framed to make like Renfield seem smaller at the bottom of the stairs and Dracula seem taller, bigger stairs. Like they use that kind of angle to certainly sort of invo- evoke that. And also about those those stairs when Renfield moves up them and gets sort of tangled in the cobwebs it's like he, what what happens to him later is sort of played out on the screen because you see him sort of being actually literally fragmented by the cobwebs you can see the mm. you can't quite clearly see the picture of him and it seems to dissolve and you think well that's what's going to happen to him later on it's him out of it out of his depth and and sort of it is that weird sort of incongruity of him clearly very formal very sort of professional in this place that is uh sort of crumbly and run down and then with even within that crumbly run place this is only the, the nice sort of area in which he's kept it is these layers of him sort of not descending into hell but there are certainly layers of descent that goes on it into this broken down place into this sort of place of luxury and then from there once again back into sort of the crypts beneath it all um, he sort of steps down in the world. So, Rob, do you have anything you have to recommend based on Dracula this week? I do. I do. I've got two um, to to push forward. Um, it's really tricky because, like, whenever I don't want to do these ones, I try to talk about some about vampire films, and I kind of can't because that's the whole point of the next eight weeks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the director of Dracula um, was someone called Todd Browning, um, who I actually first encountered through his film from a year later um which is um freaks 1932 film freaks which is one of the in many ways one of the most sort of dark and twisted pre-code films it's all, it's all pre-code era um out there about a um a trapeze artist um falling in love or marrying at least a set of uh, sideshow performers um and how the group of freaks as they were um sort of band together and turn on the outsiders it is in many ways horrific film um full of horrible people and horrible situations but it is also a very powerful film it's a very well done film um and uh, once i realized the same person directed both i couldn't help but recommend freaks this time my second mention is a um a film that I love, I tried to trip over it a little bit there. Um, anyone who knows me knows I'm a big fan of uh, zombie films and the whole zombie genre. And when you've got a star like Bela Lugosi in your movie, it's not too hard to leap across into another genre. And so I want to talk about the same film, I think from the same year, 1932 again, same year as Freaks, um, the film White Zombie. Which is one of the, in the same way as Dracula is one of the sort of the foundations, one of the sort of the, the sort of biggest uh, archetypes of uh, vampire movies white zombies set up and launched a lot of the the zombie movie 
um, trend. Now, a lot changed from there to the zombies now these days. This is much more about sort of the um, sort of Haitian voodoo style of zombie rather than sort of the viral zombie we know now. Um, but Belagos is in it. Um, and it is it is a, a pillar of that genre. And if you haven't seen it and you like zombie movies, it is slow. It is a 1950s movie, but it is also so important to that genre that it's hard to ignore. So yeah, Freaks and White Zombie. What about you, Sam? I only have one recommendation this week because uh, my second one was going to be White Zombie. Uh, <laughs> Happy to steal that one as well. Yes. Um, it pleasingly though all three of us are from the same year my one recommendation this week is based on David Manners who is the um, sort of completely unlikable wet John Harker who is thoroughly overshadowed by his fiancée Mina and David Manners was also in the film the next year The Mummy Um also stars Boris Karloff, who we known for other famous films at this end of the century. And it is one of many times in which this franchise has been... Well, I suppose there are three notable times this franchise has been put forward. There was the... the um, What's his name? I've forgotten him. Somebody from the 90s. Who was it? Who did The Mummy? Brendan Fraser? That's the one, yes. And then the Tom Cruise Brendan Fraser. But the the original, and no doubt the best, because those last two are terrible, is the Boris Karloff Mummy from 1932. Excellent. So that's my one, one recommendation this week. Fair enough. Well, one's better than none. And I think, uh, yeah, White Zombie was an, a, a good choice. So that's our, our, our 30s movie. But we are kind of returning to it a little bit next week um so we're moving into the 40s next week guys and we're picking up with the return of the vampire in which uh bella lugosi returns returning as vampire returning as i don't know if he's playing dracula himself but he's certainly playing uh a uh, a part in in this movie trading in on his success from dracula so that's the 1943 movie return of the vampire Till then, guys, you can find us online. Uh, if you like what we talk about the movie, come tell us. If you don't like what we say about the movie, come tell us. We'd love to talk about these movies further online. You can find both of us at Precious Podcast. You can find me at Life underscore Academic. And you can find me at Kaiju FM. And we'll see you guys back here in two weeks' time. <laughs>